Good morning. It's amazing how God has things set up to where we are in the midst of pouring out our praise and adoration to God. We're uh, focusing our hearts upward, but he also has it designed for us to do this together so that we can look around and see one another. We're singing to one another and just through the observations, not that distract us, but that remind us of the blessing that we have by being able to worship one another. I probably, I know Kathy, she pointed it out to me, probably a few of us may have thought this, as Nick was leading singing this morning. The song before the Lord's Supper, Because He Lives. You notice that second verse, how sweet to hold a newborn baby. And there was Bailey holding Briggs right there. I guess our newest baby. How beautiful it illustrates the fact that we have a hope that goes beyond this life. And the life which is to come. It's also a blessing as we think about the end of this year. Our hearts are starting to turn toward 2024. How much God has blessed us in this year. With the births, the additions that have come into our family that way. But also we've been blessed by so many whose hearts have been touched by the power of the gospel. Who have rendered themselves obedient to the will of God and have become Christians. Our count, I think, is 24-25. That's a blessing. So many from our community who are part of our family here this year. And a wealth of people who have come to us from other places in the local area. We're so grateful to have so many new families. Isn't it exciting? We reach the end of a service and there are more names of those who are placing their shoulder next to ours to be involved in this great work that we have. God has given us such a great task. And all the faithful workers that we can have as a part of that, we thank God for that. We also look out and we see those who are suffering fresh grief, family members who are no longer with us. I see our dear sister Diana out there. She has said an earthly goodbye to Leroy. And he's going to be memorialized tomorrow. And yet the great hope is, is that there's a family reunion to come that will never come to an end. If you haven't figured it out, Hiram and I have been preaching through 1 Timothy. We are reaching the end of that letter today. We're going to be looking in 1 Timothy chapter 6. The Beatles made the song famous. The flying lizards even re-recorded it. But we're grateful to the individuals behind it, Barry Gordy and uh, Jenny Bradford, who wrote the song, and Barrett Strong, who gave the first recording of that song. And even if you were born after the 50s and the 60s, you still remember those iconic lines and know them. The best things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. There have been so many songs that have been sung on the subject of money by such diverse artists as Pink Floyd and Bing Crosby, Destiny's Child and Kendrick Lamar, the Pet Shop Boys and Dire Straits and so many others. That's just to name a very few. And some of those songs have given warnings and cautions about the subject. But so many sing praise of the desire for more and more of it. You know, those who study such things try to determine for us when, where, and how the use of money first came into societal practice and civilization. And there are various markers along the road. There is indication that the first accounting system that we know anything about goes back to the ancient Congo and is indicated by the tally marks on a thigh bone of a baboon. 
There's the earliest trade and barter that we know about through livestock and through crops that go back to the earliest of civilizations. It is sometimes thought that Mesopotamia was the first organized civilization that minted coins for use in trade and transactions. And yet, we see money mentioned in the second chapter of the Bible. Back before sin, there's an, a reference that Moses makes, makes back to that time in Genesis chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, to the land of Havilah, in which there was gold and bdellium and onyx. And thereafter, there are about 2,000 references to money and possessions throughout all the rest of the Bible. And we need to make the observation that when money comes up in Scripture, it is always of itself a neutral commodity. And yet we see that it can very quickly and easily be an idol that displaces God. So when we get to the end of a letter in which the Apostle Paul is instructing and encouraging in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 that we may know how we ought to behave ourselves in the house of God, we're not surprised with something so fundamental as money that the Apostle Paul is going to spend some time talking about our relationship to it. It's worth noting for us that these words that are spoken are not written to the world. These are written to the Christians in Ephesus. And it's remarkable as you go through the last 21 verses of this book in chapter 6 that you have several financial terms that are used. Words like partake of the benefit and gain and content and rich or riches and the love of money and store up for themselves, and entrusted. And you walk through and you find all of these terms. And while we're going to see those things in their context, there can be no mistake but that the Apostle Paul is talking about money in this particular chapter. Now Paul wrote to another church while he was sitting in a prison cell in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 11, and he says, I have learned the secret in whatever circumstances to be content. Philippians chapter 4 verse 11 and 12. And while Paul is writing to a different congregation here in a different context, we still are appreciative of the fact that contentment is a spiritual discipline. And the apostle Paul here is going to tie it to sound doctrine. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think about sound doctrine, I think about teachings with regard to how to become a Christian, how to worship God, and how to make sure that we're teaching about how the, we look at the end of all things, all these doctrinal matters. But money is a part of sound doctrine, healthy teaching, and our relationship to it. I do suggest this to you, that God wants not just Paul, but He wants you and I to be content. He would love for us to walk through this world full of discontented people being content. And he wants us to be content on this very subject that we're talking about having to do with money. It's hard to do. It takes effort and it takes discipline. But I suggest to you as Paul closes this letter, he shows us three ways that we can be content God's way. How can we be content no matter what? If we're going to be content no matter what, we have got to listen to the right people. That's number one. If you want to be content, you've got to make sure that your guide, your mentor, the one that is influencing you, is guiding you in the right direction. 
Now you may notice from the words that were read so well to us a moment ago in verse 3 through 5, thank you Mike for that reading, that Paul is talking about teaching in a more general sense. But he's going to break it down and, and bring it to our subject toward the end of this paragraph. First of all, how do you know if you're listening to the right people? Paul says there are some spiritually dangerous people who are turning the heads of these Christians and there are people who may turn our heads with teaching that they ought not. How do you know if you're listening to the right people? Well, Paul's first uh, principle there is, is look at their teaching. Does their teaching align with Christ and does it conform to godliness? These teachers were teaching things that were different from what God's inspired men were sharing with the people. And Paul says this is going to get you into trouble in a very general sense. This is a principle that Scripture is giving us regularly. To the church at Galatia, for example, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 through 9, Paul says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him who called you from the grace of Christ to another gospel, which is not a gospel, but there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you. Let him be accursed. To the church at Rome, Paul says in Romans 16 and verse 17, that they were to keep their eyes on those who brought teachings that were contrary to the things which they had learned, Paul says, turn away from them. Even at the beginning of this letter, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, there are these teachers, and they were to be turned away from because what they said was unlawful. It led to unbelief. It was sinful. It was profane. But there's a principle here that we need to keep in mind with regard to those who would bring a different teaching that no matter what it is that you're struggling with that goes against what Scripture says, you can find somebody who will tell you whatever it is that you want to hear, whatever the subject is. Many years ago when I was preaching in Virginia, there was a woman who did not have a right in God's eyes to be remarried, but she wanted to be remarried. And she came up to me and she asked me if God would be okay with that. I knew that she had already talked to every one of our elders and that she had talked to our other preacher. And now she was asking me. And I gave the same answer that they had given. But I also recognized with her that if she kept asking, she would eventually find someone who would tell her exactly what she wanted to hear. And I submit to you that that's the case, that if you want to do something, there are teachers out there who will tell you exactly what you want to hear. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, the Apostle Paul says that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but in accordance with their lust, lust they will accumulate for themselves teachers having itching ears. And they will turn away their ears from the truth and they'll be turned toward myths. 2 Timothy 4, verse 3 and 4. What Paul is saying is you want those who are going to be straightforward with the gospel and will tell you exactly what Jesus' will is. Be careful and measure what they're saying against what Scripture says. And that's a timeless principle for all of us. But Paul says it's not just their teaching. How do you know if you're listening to the wrong people? Then look at their character. The Apostle Paul is going to unmask some things about these, these teachers. And one of the first things that we're confronted with there in verse 4 and 5 is that they were conceited. They thought that they knew the will and the word of God better than anyone else. And they looked down on others. We also find that they were majoring in the minors. They were splitting hairs and they were causing dissensions among the people. When we look at their obsession, what they were focused on, it was on things that ultimately didn't matter and you can't find an answer to in the Bible. 
We need to be careful about those whose teaching is so obsessed on little controversial points. And we shouldn't focus our times on those things that don't matter when there is so much that could not matter more. Paul says, be careful about folks who are majoring in the minors. And they don't get to the essentials of the gospel. But another thing he says is, and this is just as fundamental as it gets, he says you want to look at their character, look at their fruits. As you see this list in verse 5, you see these things that they demonstrate. They have evil suspicions. They're constantly friction. There's envy, strife, and slander. They divide the people of God. They think bad of others, the worst of others. And they look for those things that might be wrong with others. And the Apostle Paul says, this is a character issue. Be careful of those who are always itching for a fight. And so he says, how do you know if you're listening to the wrong people? Well, does their teaching accord with the doctrine of Christ and godliness? What about their character? And then he says, check out their motives. Is their motive pure or is their motive gain?" Apparently, there were some in this particular environment who were using the gospel to strike it rich. They realized that there were people who were looking for a particular message, and so they bent their message. They sold themselves out for just what the people wanted to hear. Paul's not making the statement that one can't make their living honestly of the gospel. He says in several places that that's okay, but what he's saying is not okay is to listen to what people want to hear and to bend the message to that. And apparently that involved the message of money. All right, so we know who not to listen to. But God doesn't just leave us twisting there with those messages that aren't for us. He says if you want to be content no matter what, you listen to the right people, listen to God's message. God's message through the Apostle Paul, and it's a threefold message. The right message from the right people is that godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness is a great focus of 1 Timothy. The word in its form here is found 15 times in the New Testament. Over half of those references, eight of them, are found right here in the epistle of 1 Timothy. We live in a world full of discontent where the motto of the majority is more and we're bombarded with advertising to make us dissatisfied with what we have. And what the Apostle Paul says is the message that you need to listen to is that godliness... If you're content in that state, it's great gain of itself. That discontent, discontentment can rob you of the blessings of godliness. Apostle Paul, or rather the Hebrews writer in Hebrews 13 and verse 5 says that you're to have your character free from the love of all money and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never forsake you and I will not leave you. Paul says that no matter what your circumstances are, If you are content wherever that is, that's great gain. The second right part of this message that the Apostle Paul is given is that our life on this earth is not about earthly things. We've had the wrong message, the wrong teaching, the wrong character, and the wrong motives, but the right message from the right people is that we are to be, that godliness with contentment is great gain. And this earth is not just about our physical existence, our material things. I read about the death and the funeral of J.P. Morgan, a name still known to us today, a banker and a financier. When he died, his net worth in 2023 dollars was between 25 and 45 billion dollars. He died in 1913, and his friends were talking, 
uh, in the parlor before his funeral, and one said to another, in talking about his will, I wonder how much Mr. Morgan left. And his friend said he left it all. And the same is true of us. When we leave this world, we will leave it all. Our uh, bank account, our worth, when we leave this world, will be exactly what it was when we came into this world. We have no use or need of money in the womb or in the tomb, but in between we can find ourselves obsessed with it. And the Apostle Paul says, your life is not about your material and physical existence here. That's the right message from the right people. And then the challenging third part of that right message from the right person is that we should be content with the basic necessities. Now tell me that doesn't challenge you. It challenges me. The Apostle Paul breaks it down in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 8, doesn't he? Having food, and that other word there is a word that sometimes refers to clothing, sometimes refers to covering. So let's say it's food in your house or food in your clothes. Paul boils it down. He says our life is not about about wealth, it's about eternal life. And having those basics, we should be content with that. See, the Apostle Paul is challenging us. He's saying you're going to have to fight to be content. And the first thing that's necessary to be content is you've got to listen to the right people. The second principle that he gives, if you're going to be content no matter what, is you need to long for the right things. You know, the CDC publishes a list every year of the causes of avoidable death. How can you do some things to keep yourself from getting in the risk of dying category? Well, in the the midst of their findings, they said that 435,000 people every year die from the use of tobacco, tobacco tobacco-related illnesses. 18.1% of all U.S. deaths every year. How about a lack of exercise or inactivity? See, I've quit preaching and gone to meddling. 400,000 people every year die from that. 85,000 people die from alcohol-related deaths. The idea the CDC is trying to to bring forward, and that is there are some steps that you can take to avoid falling prey to those things that shouldn't do you harm, or maybe you can prolong your life. How do people get into that? Well, maybe they're looking for comfort. Or maybe there's peer pressure. Or maybe there's weak willpower. We all struggle in those ways. But the Apostle Paul points us in a direction, in an area that we all struggle with. And it has to do with not longing for the right things. The way he says it's very familiar to us. This is probably the part of 1 Timothy chapter 6 we know the best. He says, those that want to get rich fall into temptation and snare and many foolish and harmful lusts that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, which while some have coveted after, they have wandered away from the faith, and they have pierced themselves through with many griefs. Now there in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, is a principle that Paul puts forward that basically says you need to long for the right things. Now, before he gets to the right things, he says, we need to focus on your desires. What Paul says here is not a malady of the wealthy. Paul says there are two desires that are not appropriate. To want to get rich and the love of money. Do you realize that this is a sin that could be committed in any shack and in any ghetto in the world? 
The Apostle Paul is pointing to our heart, to our inward man. And he says, I want you to see what happens when your desires are on the things of this world more than the things which are above. He then first focuses on what happens when our aim, our focus, what our longing is, is to want to be rich. We don't have time to really dig deep into these, but he says the first thing is that it yields a temptation. If I'm oriented and my longing is toward getting rich, then it's going to open up some temptations for me. The temptation may be for me to compromise my faith in order to get that or to compromise where the Lord belongs in my life. There are different ways that my longing for money can be a temptation, but it's also a snare. The snare is that I can find myself spiritually trapped as the result of pursuing that above the things of God, making it a higher priority. You know, the fly lands on the fly trap and it, the fly paper, and it says, my fly paper. You know what the fly paper says? My fly. So often we think that we're the ones who are pursuing and in control of things, and the things may have control of us. And so he says that if you desire to get rich, it can be a temptation, it can be a snare. It can bring about foolish and harmful desires. It can wreak havoc, materialism, on our family, on our faith, on our influence. And Paul says, it plunges men into ruin and to destruction. That word plunge means to sink or to drown. And so Paul says, if that is what life is all about for us and we want more and more, he says, there's danger. We're longing for the wrong things. And then he talks about a love of money. And this love of money is also a desire that's not appropriate and he gives us some reasons why. Those, that love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. If you think about how the love of money is tied to some of the most depraved things that happen in this life. Murder, prostitution, gambling and theft and things like this. So often find their connection to a love of money. It's the root of all kinds of evil. But it also causes some to wander away from the faith. How many stories do we hear every year of those little children who wander off? Sometimes it ends well, sometimes it doesn't. But that's the picture Paul is painting of somebody who is chasing off out of an inordinate desire for the things of this world. Love of money is that which causes us to wander away. It can. But then we also see that the Apostle Paul is not just giving us the negative. He gives us the positive. How can we make sure that we're longing for the right things? He gives us three tips or principles that can help us. He says, but you, O man, number one, flee these things and pursue what we might call the fruits of the Spirit, verse 11. He says, don't fall into the trap of wanting to get rich and the love of money. Run away from these things and pursue those things that are better, righteousness and peace. If you look at that list in verse 11, three of them have to do with our interactions with one another and three have to do with our relationship with God. And he also says, fight the good fight of faith. Don't scratch and claw for the things of this world, but put every effort into eternal life. And then he says something very interesting to me. He says, follow Jesus. Verse 13 through 16. Really, whatever it is that we're struggling with, that's the counsel we want to follow. Peter, when it's about suffering in 1 Peter 2, verse 21, follow Jesus. Paul says when it comes to living the right kind of ethical life, 
Follow Jesus. Follow me as I follow him. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. And so here's what Paul says to Timothy. If you're following Jesus, your commitment's going to be so strong that there's no distraction that's going to keep you from living the man of God life. He says, Jesus made the good confession. I'm not sure I completely understand what he's saying there, but I remember the time when Paul made that good confession before Pontius Pilate in John 18 and verse 35, where the apostle Paul, or rather uh, uh, Jesus, is standing before Pilate and John records it. And John says, so you are a king then? He says, yes, for this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify the truth. Everyone that is of the truth hears my voice. Jesus confesses, even when it means his death is imminent, that he is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords. As we think about our relationship to Christ and the things of this world, the Apostle Paul is saying, follow Jesus. You live up to that commitment. You make that confession no matter what it costs you. The Apostle Paul is trying to help us. God is speaking through him. And in this particular text, he is telling us, if we want to be content, no matter what, we've got to listen to the right people. We've got to long for the right things. I don't know if you've ever heard of Aeroflot Airlines. Aeroflot is a Russian airline. And a few years ago, there was a plane that had to crash land in Moscow. And as it was making its way down the runway, it was on fire. Forty-one people lost their lives in that particular crash. And what made that so bad was, if you've ever seen YouTube videos of that, there are people who are coming off the front of the plane and they're carrying their bags. Witnesses who survived said that people, instead of fleeing the plane, they reached overhead and they were grabbing their bags because they didn't want it to burn up in the flames. We think, how could it be that someone would value their stuff over human lives? Jesus in Luke 12 and verse 15 says, Take heed and beware of covetous, because your life does not consist in the abundance of the things that you have. He's reminding us that this world is not our home, and so we've got to long for those things which are above, not the things of the earth. Colossians 3 and verse 1. As we come to the end of this epistle, and we have this pattern for us of how to be content no matter what, Not only do we need to listen to the right people and long for the right things, but we've got to lean on the right foundation. In the last four verses, he does challenge every one of us. Because the way the Apostle Paul prefaces this is, he says, instruct those who are rich not to be conceited or to put their trust in the uncertainty of riches, but in God who gives us all things richly to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous generous and ready to share. Laying up their hope against the foundation of the good treasure of the life which is to come. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. You know, doctors tell us that there's a condition known as Waleta sciatica. It's something that usually strikes me, and it's a condition that happens because of men putting their wallets in their back pockets. And as it sits back there, it hurts the sciatic nerve and it causes extreme discomfort. And the solution to that is lighten the wallet or put it into a different location. You know, the Apostle Paul is telling us, don't lean on your wallets. Don't lean on that foundation. Lean on something more substantial than that. 
And the thing that confronts us is that the Apostle Paul's instructions in 17 through 21 hits every one of us. Steve Corbett wrote a book called When Prosperity Hurts. And in that he talks about how Western nations have given $2.3 trillion in aid since the end of World War II. But despite that, did you know that 2.5 billion people live on less than $2 a day. That's one out of every three people approximately on this earth that are living on less than $15 a week. So all of us find ourselves where the Apostle Paul is speaking to the rich. And he has some counsel for us as we have our things to make sure that we're leaning on the right foundation. So what does he say? He says, first of all, don't be arrogant. You know, this arrogance can slip in very subtly, and we don't even know that it's taking place. Arrogance itself means to look down on others, especially in this context, those who have less than we do. It's possible for us to look at somebody who is struggling financially, and we might say that they're just extravagant, they're foolish, they've made poor decisions, or maybe they're less spiritual than I am. Paul says, don't be conceited, because riches are uncertain. A second thing he tells us who are blessed materially as we all are. He would encourage us by saying, don't trust in the uncertainty of those riches. You know, the studies that have been done, especially in some of the booms and busts that have taken place in the last few years, it's remarkable the extremes that have taken place. A man named Sean Quinn, who was the richest man in Ireland... In the beginning of 2008, he was worth $6 billion. But after the uh, recession of 2008, he lost all $6 billion. His empire crumbled, and he was $3 billion in debt when he declared bankruptcy. Same thing happened to the richest man in Iceland. And then Ike Batista, who was the eighth richest man in the world, was worth $34.5 billion when he lost all of that plus $1 billion more in 2014. Sean Quinn wrote in his memoirs that I was greedy for success, and to do so, he trusted in the uncertainty of riches. But what Paul would tell me is, I don't have to be a billionaire for this principle to be important and relevant to me. I need to make sure that I'm investing more in my eternal destiny than my earthly retirement. I need to focus on those riches in heaven than those things on this earth. It's a matter of balance and perspective. He would also say to me that if I'm I'm wealthy, to put my trust in God to provide for my needs. Over and again, Scripture encourages by saying in Philippians 4.19, My God will supply all your needs. James chapter 1 and verse 17, every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. Jesus in the greatest sermon ever preached spends more time talking on material things than any other subject. And in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, he says, don't worry about stuff, about the things of this earth. Put the kingdom of God first. And then he says, be ready to be a good steward. Use the things that God has given to you. Be rich in good works. Be ready to share. When there are needs, when there are those who are struggling, when it comes to being a good manager of what God has given to us relative to our giving to the local church, we are going to make sure that we're going to handle those resources that God has given to us. 
Because we realize that they're all His. He's entrusted us. And we need to be faithful managers because we're going to lay it down at His feet one day and give it back to Him. He's going to look and see how much we have spent on ourselves and how much we have devoted to His cause. The Apostle Paul is saying, lean on the right foundation. You know, you may think as the preacher stands before you that this is an easy lesson for him to preach and that this is one that he finds himself above the fray and not subject to, but all of us, this hits where we live. It's a reminder as Paul closes this letter to make sure that we are the pillar and the support of the truth and that applies to what we teach, it applies to our character and it applies to what we trust in. The Apostle Paul nor Jesus ever say anything about Wealth itself being wrong. But it's the loving and the wanting and the trusting of it. Contentment is set in contrast with trust in self and trust in things. What the Apostle Paul says near the end of that letter before he gets to the conclusion is that what we're doing is that we are laying up our treasure against the hope of that eternal life that God has promised to us. That's what means all. We have looked at our world and seen how uncertain, how fleeting, and how changing the financial situations and statuses of life are. Paul's saying sound doctrine consists in understanding where the true treasures exist. The truest treasure of all is a relationship with the one who owns it all and who is all and in all and through all. He tells us through his word, That by submitting our lives to Him and putting Him first as we walk through this life, through its uncertainties, God has in store for us something far beyond what we can even understand or imagine. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. That begins by being in Him. This morning as we draw this lesson to a close, we want to urge you and invite you, if you've not made yourself a part of the greatest life, the greatest institution of all, the Christian life, the life in Christ and His church, We would love to have you shoulder to shoulder, side by side with us. If you would make the great decision, the decision to respond to the grace of Christ in obedient faith, believing that Jesus is God's Son, repenting of sins and being baptized, where you rise to walk in newness of life with access to all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places that God affords to His children. If you're a child of God who's struggling with the things of this life, whatever it is, in whatever area, We have each other to lean on, to find strength in, as we appeal to our common God to help us through it. Maybe you need to make public confession or prayers for help in your life. We would love to encourage you. This is your invitation. We would urge you to come right now as we stand and sing.